Hello, my name is Daniel Lev Shkolnik, and this is Reenchantment, the podcast about finding wonder in a secular age. As a humanist, my faith lies in humanity, not in the supernatural. If you believe that spirituality is fundamentally about cultivating the human spirit, then this podcast is for you. My guest today is Anton Feinberg, a Master's of Divinity student at Berkeley Graduate Theological Union. He is a phenomenal pianist and a recent but fast friend. Both of us grew up near Boston and are ethnically Jewish. Uh, Both of our parents are from the Soviet Union. And both of us took an interest in spirituality, except that he went a very different direction than I did, taking the path of Christian Anglicanism. We don't always agree, but our friendship has grown in spite of, and maybe even because of, our different beliefs. In this episode, we talk about the future of Christianity and in what ways it will have to adapt if it hopes to stay relevant. We talk about True Detective Season 1 and how Jesus could be valuable to an atheist as a symbol and a focal point of meditation. We get into the moment on the cross when Jesus doubts God, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we talk about how atheism can be seen as a paradoxical but important step in a religion's own evolution. I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the new patrons of this show, Maya Major from New York, James Varnum from Massachusetts, Kathleen Morris from New York, and my mom, who lives eternally in the zip code of my own heart. Love you, mom. If you want to support the show and help make this happen, uh, get your own shout out and a whole bunch of other fun rewards by going to patreon.com slash reenchantment or follow the link in the show description. I'm currently investing in a new microphone so that future interviews sound buttery and rich. And one last piece of housekeeping. I'm currently having some technical problems with my podcast host. Uh, So if one day you wake up uh, on a Wednesday morning and you don't see a new episode of the show in your feed, it's not because I forgot. Uh, It's probably because you have been uh, unsubscribed. And all you have to do is uh, go back to Reenchantment on your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe again, and uh, that should fix it. Uh, that should only happen one time, um, I hope. And now, without further ado, my conversation with Anton Feinberg. Welcome to the show. Thank you for, for uh, coming to join me on this uh, lovely Sunday. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. It's, it's a pleasure. I think uh, w- the way to start this is really to give some background about who you are and your path to where you are right now. Both of us kind of grew up in the Northeast, around the Boston area. Both of us uh, are from a Russian Jewish background, except you ended up pursuing, I guess, spirituality in the Anglican vein of all of all versions that it could, it could take. Tell, tell us about Anglicanism. Tell us about why you chose to go that road. It's, in many ways, it's really an aesthetic choice, which is not to, which is not to imply that it's a superficial choice or, or it's an unimportant choice or, or it's merely a question of appearances, because that's, that's not the case. In fact, 
In fact, aesthetics, I have a very strong sense of aesthetics. Well, I can, I can tell. I mean, both your arms are covered with tattoos. <laughs> what, is, it, you have the, is that the Virgin Mary you have on, on the floor? No, it's St. It's Teresa of Avila. Okay. Uh, uh, yes, the, the yes. Mystic. The Spanish mystic. Yeah, the Spanish mystic. And Anglicanism, for those that don't know... That is the Church of England. The right? Church of England, yes, it, yes. It broke off from the Catholic Church, right. I believe, because the king wanted to get a divorce from his wife and the Pope would not allow it. So essentially he placed himself as the head of the church and thus Anglicanism was born. Is that right? That's right. That's okay. right. So it was mostly for political reasons and sort of for practical reasons, mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily for spiritual reasons. But again, it's, it's very difficult to distinguish those two. Mm -hmm. Celibacy, for example, of, mm -hmm. of celibacy for priests. You know, in, in some ways, they absolutely have, have uh, spiritual foundations, um, which is to say that, that it, it, it may be beneficial, it may be quite beneficial in, uh, from a spiritual sense, mm -hmm. sort of depending on whether or not you have the correct attitude to it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, the 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 Catholic Church also did not, or rather, they they wanted the land of the priests to go to the church rather than mm -hmm. their children, and so it was something that was eventually codified and imposed on on these priests. Mm -hmm. The church is is such a such a wonderful, tragic, complicated thing in that in that it is the body of Christ and it is this mystical institution in the in the truest sense of the word. But it's also a human institution with, mm -hmm. with all of the faults that we bring to it. Mm -hmm. But I guess the central question that I want us to grapple with and think about is changing Christianity. And Christianity, in a sense, has been changing for 2,000 years. Of course. And I guess right now, can Christianity be made more relevant and meaningful for people like you and potentially for people like me? And what would it, what could this new direction look like? And would it still be Christianity? Of course, of course it can. Mm -hmm. And of course it would. The message has, has never changed. And in the, the sort of perennial tradition, I do believe that the, the message of the religions, of all religions, is the same. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not a revolutionary idea. Right of oneness, of love, of God is love, of connection, mm -hmm. um, of of the orientation to the divine, as as I keep saying, my my sense, my prediction, if if you can call it that, in in as much as I'm qualified to make such a prediction from a purely personal and individualized out of out of a purely individualized experience, is that is that Christianity. The, the practice of church will become, will become more curated, which, which is to say it's going to be smaller, it's going to be, it's going to be more, more targeted, mm -hmm. and, and I think people are going to think through the ritual, the ritualistic aspects of it, the liturgy, mm -hmm. right? The, the liturgy, which is, which is how we worship, how we pray. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of those, all of the aspects of the liturgy, in, in, in my opinion, really need to be, every aspect of it needs to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. Every aspect, so that there is nothing that's that's superfluous. Which is not to say that the, the liturgy as it stands is superfluous, but mm -hmm. uh, I think needless to say, people... If they don't feel it and, and it's not, it's not presented to them in a relatable way, it's, it's pretty, pretty meaningless. 
So yeah. essentially, you don't you don't want people falling asleep in the pews. Uh, no, of course not. Right. Of course not. And uh, and I and I don't fall asleep in the pews, but I I will admit that that the vast majority of services that I go to, I'm not excited by. Mm-hmm. Again, I love the space. I love the words, and mm-hmm. I do love the words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the words are absolutely meaningful. They are infinitely meaningful. But the ritual itself is feels often to me to to be rather sterile, mm-hmm. and and there's certainly the the look of the community is let's say the community is rather homogenized, mm-hmm. so it's not particularly diverse. So, tell me about some of the things that you've seen or that really do get you excited. I know we were talking about uh, Matthew Fox and his experimentation with doing Eucharist raves. And also you mentioned Thomas Merton and his, his commitment to, to silence, to, to man, monastic life. Yeah, tell me, tell me about some, some of the, the visions of Christianity that really excite you. Well, Merton was about as conservative as one could be. I mean, he really, uh, he, he did not uh, seek, I think, to 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 do what what we might call to to be what we might call progressive mm-hmm. i don't think that was his intention at all his his intention was to go in and and it was very much a personal journey for him yeah the the sort of things that that matthew fox talks about are i think they're i think they're awesome i think they're super cool i think we need to dance and sing more mm-hmm. I, I especially dance i think we need to mm-hmm. dance more together in our in our tribal communities we would all sing and dance long 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 ago but also not that long ago mm-hmm. it's it's still it's still going on in in salt in sort of micro communities all over the place yeah, so so say explain a little bit about who matthew fox was and what he was what he was up to I'll, I'll say what I know. He was ordained a Catholic priest. And then, as, as far as I understand, the, the rigidity of, of Catholicism, the rigidity of the Roman Rite, felt stifling to him. And so he became an Anglican, exactly for the reasons that I, that I described, mm. which, which is that there's, there's a lot more room. It's, I don't want to say it's lighter, but... Mm. I guess you can it's, say it's lighter. It's, for... it's less constricting. It's less mm, dogmatic. Yeah, it's just not as severe. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as serious. It's not as it's not no. It's serious. It's not as somber. Mm-hmm. And and I I love the solemnity of of the Roman Rite, but it's heavy, man. It's heavy. <laughs> it's it's not really. It, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a celebration, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't feel like a celebration. And and I suppose I suppose one thing that I'd like to do is I'd like to bring the joy back into church and I'd mm-hmm. like to bring the, the celebration back into church and 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 integrate all of these sort of disparate elements that, that exist in various churches, like the Pentecostal church. They have the emotional thing down. They they yeah, have that down. For sure. But maybe the teaching, maybe maybe the sort of intellectualism of, of religion, the the, the development of theology, they don't emphasize that. They, they really emphasize a, an, an, an experiential uh, service that's, that's ecstatic. Mm-hmm. And then various, various other denominations have their strengths and their weaknesses. And so mm-hmm. I think the idea is to, to, to answer your question about, about the, the future, at least how, how I envision an effective and beautiful and celebratory church service, mm-hmm. is to integrate all the aspects of everything of all the denominations, of all the traditions, mm-hmm. or whatever whatever works, choose the best, and then integrate that into the 
into the, the, the ritual, into the liturgy. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned the Pentecostal churches and the ecstasy there. I also think of gospel, the gospel churches, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, mixing both music, song, and sometimes very vigorous services. That's something that really gets the heart pumping, really gets the, the blood flowing. Indeed. Something that people, especially in the skeptical atheist world, they, some people look at those kinds of churches and, and they're terrified. Because their emotion and emotionality is used sometimes to, to, to negative effect. Of course. Uh, of, you know, instilling in little children a, a fear of damnation and hellfire. Yeah. And, and also politicizing church and making it about political agendas rather than about simply a personal spirituality. That's, a, that's in there in, in some places for sure. Not everywhere, not always. More than anything, uh, more than anything, I would, I would just emphasize that Christianity is a choice. It is a choice. It is a mm-hmm. conscious choice. Mm-hmm. And so as far as I'm concerned, children can't make that choice consciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that, that one can't raise their children in, in a Christian way or with Christian ethics or, or with the Christian understanding of life or mm-hmm. with the Christian approach to life. It's certainly mm-hmm. not something that can be imposed on anyone. I mm-hmm. mean, that's, that's 100%. Returning a little bit to why you uh, entered the church, yeah. in a sense it's the aesthetics were a part of it, uh, but the aesthetics to towards the end of individual meaning? Sure, sure. There were various aspects of my, what I, what I might say was my conversion. There, there was the aesthetic component. Mm-hmm. There was the mystical component, which is very much my own private experience of God mm-hmm. and and it was it was quite a profound experience there certainly was an intellectual ascent mm-hmm. where where the the metaphysics of Christianity the way that Christianity views reality became became so I, it, it arrested my attention mm-hmm. and and it it really moved me profoundly there were emotional aspects, so it's a confluence of all of these all of these forces, many of which have been have been developing and evolving mm-hmm. really my whole life because mm-hmm. i've I've always been drawn to churches mm-hmm. and i I was always drawn to the aesthetics, particularly of the Catholic Church, I, I think for obvious reasons mm-hmm. I'm fascinated about um fascinated in mystical experience mm, sure could could I ask you to to recount a little bit about what what your mystical experience was like i'll try i'll try it's always like describing a dream or a psychedelic journey it's it's very it's infinitely meaningful for the for the experiencer and it it can be rather dull (laughs) for the audience i think william james pointed that out in in his in his study of mysticism (laughs) for sure yeah one i guess i'll start here one one morning i I was having a conversation with my lady friend and her horse had just died and it was a very, very tragic and traumatic experience for her. Hmm. And for, for whatever reason, it, it provoked me to, it provoked this, this statement. I want to live less for myself and more for other people. Mm. 
and the follow-up to that was, I want to be a priest. Hmm. I wanted to give myself away. Or at least I wanted to give more of myself than I had been giving. Because it was a very selfish life that I was living. Mm. Completely selfish life. Um, very much like Augustine. Well, there was... Yeah, there's probably less sex, but... Uh, <laughs> but yes, very much, like, very much like Augustine, that's right. That's right. And not dissimilar from everyone else, really. Not dissimilar <laughs> sure, from everyone sure, else. Sure, apart from the course, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Our... Our hearts are restless until they come to rest in you, is what is what Augustine said. Mm. And and I think that feeling of restlessness, well, I think everyone can relate to that mm. in this in this day and age more and more and more and more. Mm -hmm. So so that that was the, the conscious realization or or the articulation of of what what's called the the call to ministry. It was mm -hmm. the the beginning of the call to ministry. And the mystical experience itself was was a, was a self-imposed retreat in Patagonia, Arizona, mm. where where I was I was fortunate enough to to have a place to myself for mm. two weeks, and I went there to contemplate. I went there to to commune, mm -hmm. to commune with with the space, which is incredible. I mean, I was alone for miles in every direction, uh, completely alone, uh, except for my books. Obviously, mm -hmm. I was surrounded by by these books. Uh, at which point, I also I also realized just how much how much comfort I I seek from those books. How how comforting the the world of ideas is to me, and how. Mm -hmm how my tendency is very much to escape into that world mm -hmm. and, and continue to build this, this rarefied space, this, this rich inner kingdom that, mm -hmm. that's, so, that's so beautiful, I, I have to force myself out of it, mm -hmm. so it was my a sweetheart. So I, I, it's a confluence of these books and these ideas. I'm assuming probably Thomas Merton was in there. Absolutely, yes, uh, of course. Was Saint Teresa of Avila there? She was there. All she right. was there. Tolstoy was there. Tolstoy. Uh, Tolstoy was there in a big way. You were surrounding yourself with this fertile Christian mysticism. These voices from across across the centuries, mm -hmm. and also being out in the mountains in nature and uh, fasting and fasting yes. and and having this the this dead horse on your mind and everything solidified into the right circumstances with, exactly. for, for this yeah. kind of experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course I I had had uh let's say precedence with with this sort of thing in in my various uh, psychedelic experiences. And mm -hmm. so the uh, was was this was this experience different than your psychedelic experiences? Qualitatively no, it wasn't. Mm. It was not qualitatively different from from that experience just minus the substances. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, give give a, at least a, a little bit of I think texture to what what was it like? I mean, for those who haven't been on psychedelic trips or have not had uh, a mystical experience themselves. Well, again, I'm afraid that I can only offer you cliches here, my friend. <laughs> then, um, cliches are sometimes there are cliches for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a cachet of cliches. Let's say that the first thing is is a profound sense of connection, a profound mm -hmm. sense of connection to to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, were, you, were you out in the mountains? Was I was view? out. 
yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. So the so that that natural component that's the that's the the component that's probably easiest for for non religious people to grasp the 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 sort of magical communion with nature. Mm-hmm. You'll hear people going on and on about how how they see God in nature, and mm-hmm. that's where they that's where they go to interact with God, and that's all well and good. He's also everywhere else mm-hmm. in every other situation and is uh, sort of hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. There's the connection. There's the acceptance. What, what in, in, in Russian is, is called smirenia, which is like uh, humble acceptance. The humble acceptance of what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly there is there's a, a similar concept in, in Buddhism, of course, and, and across, across the, the religious traditions. There was that. There, there was a, a sort of perfect balance of sadness, of grief and joy, mm-hmm. of, of a, a feeling of uh, beautiful tragedy and, and life as this, as this beautiful tragic comedy, I guess. And there, there, there is, there was the, the feeling of the absurd, which which I I have come to believe is the realization of paradox, hmm. right? And and that's 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 sort of a, an existentialist thing. Hmm. They they place a lot of emphasis on the absurd, on the absurdity of life. But sure, but to sure. me, really, the absurd is is the the realization of paradox, which hmm. is two things, two seemingly contradictory things uh, occurring simultaneously. It reminds me of the kind of Buddhist reliance on koans, these uh, riddles that cannot be solved by mm-hmm. by mere logic alone, but instead put you in a position where you have to grapple with the illogical, with the paradoxes, or and the only way to to really confront these these mysteries is through a non non linear, non rational form of thought. Indeed, we were talking about just yesterday about what is what is god and what is the absolute and when people when people use these words sometimes they you know if, if a christian uses uh, the word god it has a certain flavor when uh, a jewish person and a uses certain image. and a certain image yeah. there was uh, this native american anthropologist uh, edward curtis who wrote that there is a tendency both by observers and native americans themselves to translate wakonda as great spirit but such a translation is actually not a direct representation of, of their, their conception of this, this great deity. Uh, the translation should be great mystery. Uh, the philosophy, their philosophy says, we know not what it is, but we do know that it is. Amen. And yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the same, I think, could be said about all of the capital A absolutes across the world, it's God or Allah or Yahweh or Tao, there is this central mystery to all of these embodiments of the absolute. And I think many times people look at religions and they discount them as easy in a sense that they give answers. They give answers to where we come from, they give answers for our purpose, but really there is far more mystery and far more admission of, of uncertainty than I think most people, especially in the atheist world, realize. Yeah, it's not about the answers, man. It's about the questions. Because the, mm-hmm. the question opens the door. The question, the, the question directs a journey or it commences a journey. It begins a journey. And so 
in many ways, the answer closes the door. Mm-hmm. And it, it's absolutely not, not about the answers. And I guess, um, you know, one of the things that sometimes, sometimes frustrates me about discourse among skeptics and, and uh, atheists and non-believers is this notion that, well, science is, has most of the answers if, and those things that we do not yet know will in time become apparent. And it's, that's uh, an assumption that I, I'm not sure we are able to make. I live my life with the assumption that we do not have access to uh, a metaphysical realm. Whether it does or does not exist, I don't think we, we know. And I think really one of the most valuable things about religions and certain philosophies as well is that they, they, they leave open this space for wonder, this space for awe. I also think that certain religions, many religions, close this space as well. They give answers where I think we don't have a right to give answers. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, I would say that we do have access to the to the metaphysical realm. I think we have direct access to it. I, I could tell you through mystical experience, or through I, through which I, what I think forms? through I think through through everyday experience, man. I've hmm. my my life is entirely metaphysical, which is to say that every experience has something behind it. Every hmm. experience is more than the experience. Everything is a symbol. We are symbol-making creatures, and I make everything into a symbol. Every, every conversation is, is more than a conversation. I mean, yeah. it could be a conversation with a telemarketer, but, but still, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I'm interacting with, with a human being, and then we are affecting each other, and I mean, literally, we're affecting each other. Yeah. We're, we're influencing e- each other's thought patterns and uh, emotions, and mm-hmm. it can be uh, a wonderful experience or it can be an unpleasant experience. Yeah. But that, that happens at every turn. And I don't disagree with anything you just yeah. said, but <laughs> and? I look at that and I say, wow, that's yeah. humanity. That's, that is our, those are our minds. That is the, the connections between us. We affect one another. We, we fabricate the world in front of us all the time by right. looking, taking it in, and essentially mixing imagination with, with reality. Right. And that is, we live in a world of metaphors and symbols. Indeed. Where is the metaphysics there? Well, as far as, as, far as I understand, metaphysics means beyond physics. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's beyond the material. So anything mm-hmm. that's beyond the material is metaphysical, mm-hmm. and this construction of reality is, by definition, a construction of of a metaphysic, a, a mm-hmm. personal metaphysic. So, so like thoughts, imagination, yes, emotion, sure. Those, those in your definition are already in the metaphysical realm. Yeah, if that's your attitude towards life, it's all about attitude, man. It's all about attitude. Your, your, your attitude toward toward the divine, attitude toward other people, attitude toward yourself. It's I, I think the the measure of a person is is how they treat themselves and how they treat other people. Mm-hmm. When it's like I, I think there are, there are people that treat there are people that treat themselves poorly and other people poorly. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of those. There are people that treat themselves well and other people poorly. I think there are a lot of those. There are people that treat other people well and themselves poorly. Unfortunately, there are also a lot of those. And then there are people that treat themselves well and other people well. And unfortunately, there are relatively few of those. So, 
I'm interested in talking about uh, Christ. What does Christ mean? What can Jesus Christ mean to a non-believer, to to somebody who doesn't believe in the metaphysics of Christianity? Have you seen uh, True Detective? Um, no. Wait. Yes, I saw the first. Uh, I saw the first season and the last season. Great. But me not too. The second. Me one. too. <laughs> exactly. I'm, we're on a level. So in the first season, one of the detectives, Rust Cole, he he is. He's, he's an atheist. Is that Harrelson's character or McConaughey's? That's McConaughey's. Okay, okay. Yeah. But so Harrison and McConaughey, the two detectives, they, they go to, to, to McConaughey's apartment, and on his wall is a crucifix. And, uh, you know, his, part, his partner asks, asks McConaughey's character, so, wait, are you a Christian? And he said, no, no, emphatically, he's, he's, he denies it. Why do you have a crucifix on your wall? And he says, it's a form of meditation. I contemplate the moment in the garden, the idea of allowing your own crucifixion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an example of a character, a person who is an atheist, who is, is you know, throughout the show is actively skeptical and of Christian, Christian uh, practice and the Christianity that you see in Louisiana and the Deep South. Sure. And yet he uses Christ as a symbol for contemplation and meditation. And so... In this context, is that is that still Christianity, or is it not? Well, certainly the way that he's presented in the show, I think it would be very difficult for me to call him a Christian. And I'm not sure if that's because there are certain expectations that I have in my mind, a certain vision of how a Christian acts. Mm-hmm which is definitely not how he acts. He's quite a tragic character. They both are, obviously. The symbol of the cross is so infinitely powerful visually and, and so, so richly layered symbolically as the, as, the, as the place where the finite meets the infinite, mm-hmm. where the vertical meets the horizontal, where the earth meets the sky where the human meets the divine mm-hmm. and 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 incidentally the place where god himself jesus christ seemingly expresses his atheism right 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 that god, yeah that's why what uh, zizek said yeah right? yeah yes, in the yes. debate with jordan peterson indeed indeed uh, yeah it's where god became an atheist yeah. yeah or just momentarily right so you said that russ cole is not a christian because he, in a sense, doesn't really live that life or walk that path as as is typically, you know, you would associate with a Christian. I mean, it's not really an assertion, but yeah, that's the first thing that I that I would say mm. about him specifically, or that type. Yeah, he seems like he hates life. <laughs> we, yeah, well, we we can go into an analysis of True Detective. I yeah. that could just be the rest of the show. It could uh, be. Yeah, let's let's not allow that. To let's happen. yeah, no, no, it'll be a bonus episode later. But but you know, using using Christ as a symbol in that way, using Christ as as a focal point of thinking of him not as as a god, as a deity, but as a person who lived and. More, more than that, also now a kind of a, a, a symbol that is readily accessible, that embodies uh, a life of of good works, of compassion, of love, uh, of charity, also of suffering and of great pain and despair. At, in some points, there's there's so much there in terms of you know as a human story, you can you can completely empathize with and connect with Christ as a human being. 
without necessarily taking you know Christ into into your mind and, and heart as your Lord savior. And savior, sure, right, sure. But so thinking of that as thinking of Christ as like in a sense an example of a life well lived, or of a way to to live live a life. In a sense, for me as well, it also feels like that is that is no longer Christianity, but that is still learning from and living in accordance with Christ. And in fact, many people make the argument that Christianity should actually be called Paulism, because Paul mm. did such mm-hmm. a so mm-hmm. much to actually shape and mold uh, Christ's teachings yeah. that we often don't get Christ's own words. We don't Absolutely. get Christ's own teachings. Yes, yes. Um, I think focusing solely on Christ is is in fact the the way out of this sort of confusion that that comes out of the the the, the human imperfectibility and the the human imperfection of the church and the many hundreds and thousands of years that it's also been incorporating other elements from we were talking about the pagan influences on right. Christianity and the yeah. kind of layers on layers of of religious thoughts, some of it very, very good, but others are very much embedded in medieval times mm-hmm. or laws that came about later on. Yeah, I suppose one one great way of of thinking about about Christ is as a symbol for the self, as a symbol for the integra- the, the truly integrated self, mm-hmm. right? And and as as a perfect human being, we can we now know what a perfect human being is like. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect human being, and so we can we can reach we we know what the end is, mm-hmm. right? And so, or, or at least one one version of of perfection, I would say. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. There, That's there, fine. Yeah. 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 And so and so be, because we we know what we can strive toward, we can then sort of gauge our our progress. And so that's why I'm I'm often focusing and emphasizing what 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 I've sort of come to call progressive progressive spirituality where where the spirituality progresses along a certain a certain path and there and there are levels to it. Much like the 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 increasing levels of of consciousness just just elevating your consciousness and and getting rid of everything that's that's unnecessary or that doesn't fit mm-hmm. and creating a hierarchy of values that's completely personal and is is actually based on emotion in in the sense that in the sense that something either feels right or it doesn't feel right again not in a superficial way but in a in a deeply profound way and doing only those things that feel right um, our, our conscience tells us when we're doing good and when we're not doing good, mm-hmm. and and sometimes that that could manifest as 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 uh, an intuitive sense. And I myself have found, and I have heard other people say that when they go against their intuitive sense, their gut sense, as it were, that's that's when they that's when they make mistakes. And of course, we we do have to negotiate all of the obstacles in life and sort of reconcile ourselves to the um, to these enormous um, challenges that that we have. Mm. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You you mentioned this form of or this uh, process of purification. Albedo. Of, it's called in in alchemy. Albedo. The, yeah, it's the process of continual washing and scrubbing. Huh. 
right? Con continual washing and scrubbing until until something better emerges, until something perfect emerges. Actually, that's that's a great word, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, this 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 process of al albedo, it it's. It's something that I think, yeah, anybody that is engaged in any form of, I think, spiritual pursuit is engaged in this process of polishing the, the, the stone of their souls, mm. the, mm -hmm. the, who they are there in this world. They're, people are trying to constantly improve it. And uh, part of improving, part of uh, that process is not necessarily adding a bunch of new stuff onto it, not gilding the lily, but rather removing. Mm. Indeed. And Yes, that's why I say the... The question now is not what to do, but what not to do. Mm. It's it's not about what action to take, but what action not to take. Yeah. Well, so it, there, it, it, that reminds me of something that the Baal Shem Tov mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. uh, the Baal Shem Tov was the founder of Hasidicism, right. and which basically was a um, popularization of Kabbalah, Jewish mm -hmm. mysticism. Mm -hmm. And he said that actually atheism is is part of purifying religion sure sure it's a step along the way absolutely it is yeah and the the, the the concept there is that it's about getting rid of everything that has been piled up yeah. over the years yeah. onto religion that that is no that is not the point of it that is not the core of yeah. it that distracts from it that sends us into into conflict with others with ourselves with you know there there's no end to to infighting among christianity among Indeed. all different uh, religious groups mm -hmm. atheism as a form of simplification a form of narrowing down to to the most essential that's the way i, th I think about religions I and mean, that's mm -hmm. what i come to spiritualities with i i try and look for what is the core what is the kernel what is that that fire that started this this movement and mm -hmm. this tradition and and i try and seek that out because it feels like like the life of christ like the teachings of, of the Buddha, like all of these traditions, the absolute feels like it's there. And yet people try and say so much about it. And in trying to say so much about it, they get it wrong. They constantly misunderstood Christ mm -hmm. when he was trying to explain his teachings. And I feel like they continue to misunderstand him. So in, in, in a way, uh, atheism may just be a, a contemporary tool to, to get us back to a purer form of living in this world. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that either. I, I really don't. The I do believe that that in general, people who proclaim themselves as atheists probably have done more thinking about about this issue than than uh, those who proclaim themselves religious. Alan Jones, who who was the the Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco and a wonderful, absolutely wonderful writer who makes, who makes these, these complicated concepts very accessible in, in the most beautiful way. Quip that people who think don't believe and people who believe don't think. And certainly it's, a, it's an oversimplification, but, but unfortunately that is true. And so, so that's, that's why I, I sort of, delicately sneer at the at, at the rationalists and sort of our our own cultural context here i mean y you and i our own like jewish russian post-soviet mm -hmm. cultural context of because there's definitely a type 
you know, mm -hmm. there's definitely a type and they they are resistant. They are resistant to the to the mystical. They are resistant to the irrational. They're very resistant to to organized religion in mm -hmm. in any way. To go back to to God and Christ, I, I would say again in in the most simplified way, and and I will admit that that I have not engaged enough with Judaism as as a spiritual tradition. Mm but it feels to me like Yahweh is very abstract mm. and Christ is very concrete. And yeah, it, it is, it is ultimately that, that personhood that's, that's appealing to me. That's meaningful to me. That's that, that I can relate to. It's interesting. There's, there have been a couple of times in my life where I have, where I felt uh, very much like Russ Cole in, in true detective where Jesus Christ is, you know, that, life as a symbol has been very very relevant and 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 real and important for me i think in no in no way do i characterize myself as a christian right. and yet i look throughout history for people that inspire me marcus aurelius yeah. uh, the life of buddha yeah. um you know and and christ is there too sure sure and, you yeah. know i think there's there's something to to be said about looking looking to christianity not trying to box with with god and box with this this concept of of the absolute but looking and seeing okay what is there that is human what is there that can be learned from it's the suffering man i'll, I'll say this because i i think it it really is essential maybe the most essential maybe but it's mm -hmm. it's hard to say what the most essential is but but it's 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 about your attitude to suffering so mm -hmm. in in addition to the measure of a person being how they treat themselves and other people i think the measure of a person is also how they deal with their suffering mm -hmm. um because suffering will come mm -hmm. it it's here and if it's not here then it'll be here soon for mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. absolutely everyone that's nothing new that's the first precept of Buddhism as well, mm -hmm. and but but the but in, in in comparing those those two traditions, Buddhism and Christianity, right, right, Buddhism, it, 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 as far as I understand, in my own understanding, is is very much about transcending transcending suffering mm -hmm. through detachment, mm. and and Christianity, I think, through the through the example of Christ, is much more about engaging with suffering. It's it's sort of about taking it on, and and being and being conscious about it because in it is in some ways at the root of of all of our issues of all the of all the disharmony in society is how how do people deal with suffering? Mm -hmm. You know, do do they do do they take responsibility? Do we take responsibility for for our suffering, mm -hmm. or do we blame others? Do we let ourselves become bitter and resentful toward mm -hmm. others as the cause of our suffering, or or do we practice smirenya? Do mm -hmm. we practice humble acceptance? Mm -hmm. And and that's what carrying the cross means. That's what mm -hmm. bearing your cross means. Mm -hmm. And and so not only are you are you bearing the cross for yourself. But in some ways, you're also bearing the cross for your neighbors, and mm -hmm. hopefully, your neighbors are bearing the cross for you because you're not aware of everything, and mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're they're a projection that's that's going on, and so we we, we are affecting our each other in this in this negative way, and so we the, the more conscious we are of of first where our suffering comes from, so that mm -hmm. so that it's not 
misunderstood or misinterpreted and then certainly so it's not misdirected because mm-hmm. because when it's misdirected it's that's 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 when things get ugly and i guess this thing about humbleness is and we spoke about this yesterday something that you don't often see uh, in atheism uh, you don't huh. often see among skeptics or non-believers. Right. There is, in the humanist tradition as well, there is uh, an optimism about mm-hmm. humanity, an optimism about yeah. what our minds and our science can do. Yeah. And so when it comes to suffering, oftentimes the reaction, the in- instinctual reaction on the part of a non-believer is, well, we can hack our lives, mm-hmm. we can hack our minds, we can mm-hmm. figure out a way to overcome it. And in a way, in some ways, that is, I, I, I see that as a very noble impulse, and I see, I see good things coming of it. And at the same time, there are things that we cannot avoid. We cannot avoid the eventuality of, of death and our own demise, mm-hmm. or of loss, of loss of loved ones, mm-hmm. of loss of possible futures that we could have lived, mm-hmm. but are now no longer able to. And this is something that cannot be invented away, mm-hmm. and it cannot be... It cannot with with all the knowledge in the world you're you're not going to be able to have that emotional reckoning and catharsis that that true suffering really really requires and so what would you say in terms of humbleness can non-believers learn from from Christ and from that symbol of the cross and from bearing one's suffering accept your suffering willingly accept it consciously lean into it Lean into it as, as a revelation, as a personal revelation. And nothing, nothing will reveal the inner you like, like your suffering. Your joy, you won't notice. Or you'll notice it in passing. Mm. But in suffering, you're really there. You're really in it. For the last part yeah, of the show, yeah. I ask anybody who comes on a word or concept that they either invent or or bring in from some other strange part of the, of the English language or from some other language that talks about spiritual and sacred things without using the loaded words like sacred and spiritual. So, Anton, what is what is your word? What is your concept? Well, in addition to Albedo... <laughs> Al- Albedo uh, is great. Wait, isn't give, it great? Give, give, give a spelling of that. You... A-L-B-E-D-O. Albedo, yeah, and, and that's and that's a, a alchemist term. Yeah, it's an alchemical term, a term which which denotes the, the the continual washing and scrubbing of of a substance. But really, we're the substance, mm-hmm. right? Our um, inner inner selves, our, our, our inner, inner selves. Well, and in some ways, our, our outer selves as <laughs> as the uh, as as a sort of manifestation of our inner selves. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, look look into alchemy and the the, the sort of Jungian take on alchemy. All right. So, what is what is the second word, Anton? Surrender. Surrender. Okay. So, most people know what the word surrender means. What? what how do you use it? Accept. Accept what is. Mm-hmm. Accept what is. Mm-hmm. There is always something that that one can surrender to. There is always something that one can accept. That that one is not accepting. That one is pushing away. That one is rejecting. That one is fighting against. Mm-hmm. And, and when I find the inner strength in me to surrender to something, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. usually it's, in, well, invariably it's in other people. Mm-hmm. Because we're all sort of imposing our will on each other mm-hmm. and the world. So whenever I, I find the inner resources to surrender, I am lighter. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Again, because I get rid of the of the heaviness, I get rid of the burden. I lay down the burden mm -hmm. of of dwelling on on whatever it is about the world that dissatisfies me. And there's no end mm -hmm. to the things that dissatisfy me. And yet I rejoice in in this life. All right, Anton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank and, you, brother. It's been it's been great. It's been a right. pleasure. Let's Thanks. do it again. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> thank you for listening to Reenchantment. You might have noticed another word in this episode that sounded familiar. It was Wakanda, or the Osage and Ka Nation's word for great spirit or great mystery. It probably sounded familiar because it's used in Black Panther, both the comics and the movie. Uh, in the movie, Wakanda is the fictitious country in Eastern Africa where Black Panther is from. And although it's sometimes spelled slightly differently, it's essentially the same word. An article in IndianCountryToday.com uh, gets feedback from a few Osage people on how they felt about the usage of the word. By and large, they didn't feel it was used in a disparaging way in the film, although some of them said it was a bit strange to hear their word for creator or great spirit used as the name of, of a fictitious country. Again, I want to give a big, big, big thank you to everyone who supported the show last week. Maya, James, Kathleen, Mom. It takes a lot of expensive gear and internet fees to make the show happen. And you can support by going to patreon.com slash reenchantment. And if money is not a way you can support the show right now, please tell a friend about it. I'll see you next time on Reenchantment.